In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Back when I was in grad school, I spent a semester as a TA in a systematic theology course. And in this course, students are taught how to think about theology systematically, trying to see how ideas have developed over time. And in this course, I was invited by the professor to exchange with him, to have a debate with him where I represented what we called the pop atheists, those people like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, which meant I had to go read all of these books and to figure out how to articulate their concerns and their ideas while he, the professor, got to be people like C.S. Lewis, apologists. So he got the easy job. And one of the things that I discovered during this kind of debate was that I became a bit more sympathetic to the concerns and the problems that a lot of people have with the way that the church has been over time, with these kinds of theological ideas that may make sense to some, but really don't make sense to a lot of people and make less and less sense as the world becomes more and more separated from the tradition of the church. I discovered that Really, Christianity kind of falls in a couple different categories for people who are relatively outside the church. The first being that experience with church could have been bad. That as a child or as an adult, they just had a bad experience with people or with the community or with the rules or with some kind of judgment. And that second category of people are people who just simply don't have enough experience with Christianity of any kind to draw any sort of conclusion about what Jesus' story is all about. Now, I think for most of us in this room, we have that fundamental baseline desire to at least know more about Jesus, for it to make some kind of impact on our life. And for most of us who are looking for that kind of simple starting place impact, we really like the Jesus that kind of comes off like a philosopher, right? The Jesus who tells some good stories, who makes some good points, who draws some good morals about the way that we should live. We kind of like that Jesus. Then we get stories like today, where it's almost like special effects and CGI on top of the mountain, and we think, Really? Because that kind of Jesus with the shiny face and lifted up in the air and being transfigured sounds just almost a little too sensational. And it seems as if that kind of Jesus begins to create questions in our mind. Is that really true? Did that really happen? Is that the kind of stuff I have to believe in in order to do this Christian thing? And we modern educated people like to ask smart questions, and we believe in our own ability to process things like spirituality with intelligence. That kind of intellectual engagement is good as a starting place. But I think what Jesus is offering us today, inviting us into today, is something that is not perhaps an intellectual exercise, not something that is demonstrably provable. We can't really get at the kind of scientific proof that we tend to like when we read a story like we read today. And so I'm asking all of us to consider how we might suspend our intellectualism for a minute to see that God may be trying to tell us some kind of deeper truth than we might see at first. 
So let's put this today's story in context. The gospel lesson we just heard is one that happens after Jesus has finished, effectively, his public ministry. He's gone about teaching, talking, speaking, bringing people together, and he's created a group of followers, and now he has turned toward Jerusalem. He is on his way from the north of Israel down to the central part of Israel where Jerusalem is, and he knows what's likely to happen. He is not going to be well received by the leaders in Jerusalem and perhaps even be killed. And he does this with intentionality because he wants to show his love. And so in this moment on the mountain, his disciples are coming with him to Jerusalem and they're a little confused because Jerusalem is not the safe place. And so Jesus takes them up on this mountain and he shows them a vision of what God is wanting in this world. He shows them a vision of the connection that has happened throughout time. You heard in the first reading, Moses goes up on the mountain. So does Jesus. God is doing this again. God is doing something amazing again. And the disciples witness all of this and have perhaps a response like we would. First, they're stunned. And then they think, well, I just saw that, so it must be real, so what should we do? Hey, how about we stay here? This is obviously a holy place. We like this place. We are safe up here. Don't go to Jerusalem because things get scary. And what does Jesus say? Nope, can't stay here. Jesus says, God is doing something in the world. God is doing something through you. God is changing your reality. And the disciples are kind of like us. Change is a little too scary. You see, this transfiguration moment is a moment of change. When Jesus is transfigured before the disciples, Jesus is showing the disciples that change is necessary in order for God's work to be fulfilled through us. And that message remains true. Change is necessary for us. But change is not something that we like. For many of us, change is a little scary, it's a little intimidating. And for those of us who kind of like the way it is, change is perhaps not even very attractive. Discipleship, following Jesus means committing to a change that we may not know, change that we cannot foresee, and change that will help bring about God's kingdom. If we're honest, the world is not okay as it is, even if our own little pocket of the world seems okay. We, as followers of Jesus, commit ourselves to the world, not just our house or our office or our friends, but the world. And the world is not as good as it could be. Jesus is calling us into some kind of change, calling us to commit to being faithful to what that change can bring in order to help the world at large. And the good thing for us is that Jesus is not calling us to go into this period of change on our own. Jesus is calling us to do that kind of change together. We are a few days away from beginning the season of Lent. This coming Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday, we start a 40-day sacred period that helps us to prepare for Easter, helps us to prepare to receive and be impacted by and be changed by remembering what God did through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. 
And that change is something that we might be considering now because Lent has always been a season where people like to do something new. But you know, historically, even though Lent has offered an opportunity for some spiritual change, most of my experience is that people do Lenten change in a less spiritual sense. I can remember friends over the years saying that they were gonna do things like not eat chocolate for Lent or not drink so much caffeine for Lent, or maybe they were gonna start exercising more or drinking more water. And I would never presume to know the mind of God, but I'm gonna say that God is not concerned with our caffeine intake or whether we get to the gym. God wants something from us and God wants the change. And if you're like me, that alone can be pretty intimidating. Change how? Change to what? What is it about my life that needs to change in order for me to grow deeper and deeper in my discipleship? And my answer is, we really can't know just right now. And so instead, we have an invitation for you for this Lent, and that is to pray. To pray each day, and as we pray each day, to pray to be open to the way that God is working in us. We have the opportunity in just a few days to begin a 40-day cycle where all we need to do is say our prayers. And for many of us, just saying prayers every day is a little intimidating because we like the book and we like someone else to pray for us. I don't know how many times I go over to someone's house or with someone and they want me to pray and I always say, why don't you pray? And they look on their face like, we don't do that, priests do that. No, we can all do this and we're gonna help. In your bulletins, in our magazine, on our website, there is instructions on how you can access a daily prayer podcast that we have recorded for this community. All the priests here at St. Michael have recorded a little five to 10 minute meditation prayer every day in Lent that you can do wherever you are, in the morning, in the evening, on your way to work, with your family. Join us in prayer, knowing that everyone here in this community is also joining you in prayer. And when you pray, pray to be opened up to the voice of God. Pray to be opened up to know your strengths and your gifts. Pray to be opened up to understanding where your next step will be that moves you and moves us toward change. This Lent, we as a community have an opportunity to begin to imagine how things can get better and how we can be a part of that work. And rather than feeling the weight or the intimidation of doing so on your own, know that you are taking this journey with all of the people in this room and beyond. And maybe together, we can respond to Jesus' invitation to change in a way that will help bring about God's kingdom now. Amen.